The epistle lesson for today is from 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 through 17. This can be found on page 1182 of your Pew Bible. While awaiting execution, the Apostle Paul wrote these words to the young pastor Timothy, who he referred to as my dear son. These words contain an instruction to cling to the word of God, which will equip him in every circumstance. A reading from 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with the 10th verse. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to be at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Each summer during my time in college, I would make the annual trek up to the Adirondack region of upstate New York to work at the all-boys Christian camp, Deerfoot Lodge. And for those of you unfamiliar with Deerfoot, it's a beautiful camp, but it truly is roughing it. And when I say roughing it, I mean roughing it. For example, there's little to no running water on the campgrounds. I would go about three months without taking a proper shower. I know, disgusting thought, right? There's little to no power. Almost all the lamps on the camp are provided by propane or gas lit. But worse than no water or no power, much worse to the college student, in fact, is that there was no cell phone service. Can you believe that? No cell phone service? I remember my first two weeks at Deerfoot each summer going through a digital detox, not being able to text all those people I needed to speak with immediately or look at the things that were happening in the world. And in this environment, something became particularly important to me that I hadn't cared for much before. Mail. You see, each morning they would have a mail call where they would call the names of all the counselors and the campers that had received a piece of mail or a care package. And I remember each morning longing for my name to be called. And every once in a while it was. And every once in a while I would have the privilege of receiving a letter from a young, beautiful woman named Rachel. Spoiler alert, Rachel's now my bride. But when I got a letter from Rachel, it wasn't in my hand for more than two seconds 
Before it was torn open and read over, I would read every line. I would read between the lines. I would even smell the letter to see if I could catch her perfume, the scent of beauty on the page, which was important in all the smells I was around in that environment. (laughs) But I loved getting letters from Rachel because they were a revelation from someone that loved me, that I loved. And you see, friends, what we're going to see in the scriptures this morning is that this book is just like that. It's a revelation from someone that loves you. And actually, specifically, what we're going to see in the scriptures this morning is that the Bible, it's God's unchanging revelation in the midst of a world filled with change, upheaval, and evil. And when we read it, it does two primary things for us. It makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, and it trains us in righteousness. So let's look at that first idea in the text this morning, that in a world filled with upheaval, evil, and change, the Bible remains God's constant, unchanging revelation. Starting in verse 12, it says this, Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. As we look out on our world today, I think we're often tempted to believe, has it ever actually been this bad? Have people ever actually done this much evil to one another? Well, friends, the scripture is clear. There always has been and always will be evil people, deceiving and being deceived, imposters going from bad to worse. I think if the author of our text this morning was alive today, he wouldn't be surprised by the upheaval in Ukraine or in Afghanistan. He wouldn't be surprised by the international sex trafficking trade or by drug cartels or by the rampant addiction in our culture. And neither should we. So how do we respond? Well, one of our responses is kind of interesting. It's a little bit of a surprise. Paul goes on to give us this response in verse 14. He says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. What we learn from 2 Timothy chapter 1 is that Timothy, young Timothy, he was raised in the faith by a godly mother and grandmother, Eunice and Lois. He was raised reading the stories of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He was raised learning the Bible. And Paul, he looks out on the broken, evil world, and he says, Timothy, this is what you can do. Continue in what you have learned. In other words, keep reading this book, Timothy. Don't give up on reading this book. I love what Paul is referring to here. He's not talking about any formal training that Timothy received. He's not talking about going to seminary, which seminary's fine, but this isn't formal training. Rather, he's talking about informal training done at home, in the family unit. Friends, the point is this. You don't have to go to seminary to learn this book. You don't have to be formally trained to learn this book. The first step in learning it is simply picking it up, opening it, and reading it. And God is faithful to speak to us as we read it. In fact, Christians throughout most of church history have been and always will be informally trained. And this is okay, because this is God's word. 
And when we read it, he does the heavy lifting and he is faithful to speak to us. That's what Paul goes on to say in verse 16. Let's take a look at that. He says, all scripture, what's that? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now, you can see in your English translation that the word scripture here is capitalized. And this is because Paul is most likely referring to the entirety of the Old Testament as he's connecting this phrase to Timothy's childhood. And I want to encourage some of you. I know some of you are really enjoying the fact that we've been in the Old Testament primarily in our three-year study. And guess what? We'll continue to be in the Old, into Old Testament next year as well. But for those of you that are not enjoying the Old Testament so much, I want to encourage you. All Scripture is breathed out by God. This is why the Old Testament is worth reading. And by the way, it's incredibly practical. Even though the events in the Old Testament happened thousands of years ago, the Bible remains relevant today. And remember, the Old Testament is primarily the Bible from which Jesus and the Apostle Paul read. When they quote the Bible, they quote the Old Testament. In fact, the New Testament authors, they quote the Old Testament over 283 times. So this begs a question, how do we know the New Testament is on the same level as the Old Testament? Well, we see scriptural precedent for that as well. In fact, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is writing about some of Paul's letters. And I love what he says. He says, some of Paul's letters are really confusing. But as he qualifies Paul's letters, he uses the same word used here for scripture. In other words, he's saying that Paul's writings are equal with the Old Testament. This next phrase I love, uh, breathed out by God or God breathed. This is a great translation. Some of your Bibles, they might say inspiration. And I don't love inspiration. I'll tell you why. Because in our minds, inspiration happens after you listen to a great TED Talk or watch a great movie. You see, inspiration in our minds is primarily about us. But this phrase doesn't have to do with us. It has to do with God and how he spoke. This phrase has to do more with expiration than inspiration. In other words, God exhaled this book. See, friends, this book, it's God's message. It's God's plan. It's God's salvation. It's God's Christ. It's God's gospel. That's why this book is unique. And that's why it remains our constant, unchanging source of his revelation in the midst of a world filled with evil and upheaval. You see, this book, it's fully God. And yet the human beings that recorded it were uniquely anointed to transcribe his plan for mankind. And I understand this is a difficult concept to understand. It's hard. And I have to admit that the Bible, it has the same philosophical and theological problem of the person of Jesus in this sense. Jesus is fully God, and yet he's fully man. And the word of God, it's fully God. It's been exhaled by him. And yet it's been recorded in the cultural and language and idioms of man. And what I find interesting is that the authors of Scripture, they're not primarily concerned with how God did it, how he anointed people, 
What they're much more concerned with is the why. So why did God speak? Why did he reveal himself to over 40 authors over a 1,600-year time span? Well, Paul, he goes on to explain why. And the why is to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Let's take a look at that. In verse 15, Paul says this. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So what's the point of this entire book? If you were to pick it up and read it cover to cover, well, it makes you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, I know that's kind of odd language. Most of us don't really talk that way unless you're a nerdy pastor like me. So let's unpack that phrasing a little bit. What does that mean? Well, we all know what wisdom is. Wisdom in its simplest form is pattern recognition. This is why older people are wiser than younger people because you've had more time to recognize patterns. And we all know people that are wise in this age to recognize patterns. You may know someone that recognizes patterns about maintaining vehicles and they keep their car in tip-top shape. Many of you recognize patterns or are wise for making money. Me, not so much. We know people that are wise for health and for fitness. They work out all the time and they're in great shape. Or maybe wise for cooking or wise for technology. But Paul says, when we read the Bible, it actually makes us wise for what we need most. Salvation. You see, when we read the Bible, what we come to realize is that we need saving, not primarily from anything out there, no, but from what's in here. We need saving from our own sinfulness. As many of you know, Rachel and I, we have the privilege of having an almost 10-month-old baby Samuel, and I love Samuel. Samuel, he's in the stage of development where he has crawling down. He crawls everywhere all the time. And every once in a while, he gets himself in a little bit of trouble while he's crawling. The other day, I was watching Samuel, and uh, we were hanging out together for a few hours, and you can throw that picture up, Max. And he kept crawling to one spot in the house. And uh, he kept getting stuck. He's a little camouflage there. And every time he got stuck between these chairs, he screamed and he cried for help for his dad to come and save him. And the funniest aspect about the whole thing is that Samuel, he did this again and again and again. Friends, I'm just like Samuel. You can take that picture down now, Max. It'll be too distracting. I find myself actively pursuing situations that are bad for me, that I cannot free myself from. I need saving. I need salvation from me. You see, no one is a worse enemy to me than me. No one has lied more to me than me. No one has broken more promises to me than I've broken to myself. I'm the problem. And when I read the Bible, it reminds me that I need outside intervention. I need salvation from myself. You see, this book, it's not a science book. It's not primarily informational in nature. It's a relational book. And that first step we take in moving towards God is recognizing our own need 
for salvation. And that's the value of reading the scriptures. And this is why till I'm blue in the face, I'll remind you, join a life group. If you haven't joined a life group yet, join a life group. Dive into this text in community. Read this book on your own. If you haven't signed up for the five-minute Bible study yet, sign up for the five-minute Bible study. Dive into the scriptures because it's so worth it. When we read them, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So, okay, okay, the Bible is God's constant, unchanging revelation in the midst of a world filled with upheaval, change, and evil. And when we read it, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So where's the action step? Does this mean the Christian life is one of just sitting around in Bible studies all day, reveling in our own need for salvation? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because actually, in the end, when we read the Bible, it trains us in righteous living. So let's take a look at that again in verse 16 and 17. It says this, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching reproof for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work you see God's final desire for us is not just to sit around in Bible studies reveling in our own need for salvation but as a gracious response to the salvation we've received to live differently or rightly or righteously So what does the righteous life look like? Well, since we're going to be in the Old Testament primarily over the next year in this three-year study, I want to hone in on one concept we see throughout it. And it's the connection between the righteous life and God's law. Now, when I say God's law, I don't mean the Ten Commandments. What I mean is what the psalmist often says when he's referring to God's law. He's referring interchangeably to God's word and God's law. The longest chapter of the Bible, the psalmist praises God for his word and his law. And I want to talk about this because I think God's law gets a bad name today. We talk about those self-righteous religious people that adhere to God's law or those Pharisees for lack of a better term. If you remember a few weeks ago, Nathan had us do that practice of imagining someone that was holier than now. But have you ever thought about the fact that throughout the Old Testament, we see the authors praising God for his law? Have you ever wondered why David would just be on his face before God, delighting in the law? It's like he couldn't even sleep because he was so caught up in delighting in the law of the Lord. When I used to read those passages, I would get so confused. I would think to myself, How could David do that? I mean, isn't the law a burden? Isn't it work to keep it? How could he delight in God's law like that? And I think David could delight in the law of God because he realized something about God's law, that it freed him from what he needed freedom from most, him. Let me tease this out for us a little bit. I know it's a little counterintuitive. How can the law make us free? Well, almost every conflict I face in life is because I have a flawed operating assumption. And my operating assumption is this, that I am the king of the universe. (laughs) 
Some of you are not surprised by this, especially my wife back there. You see, I get angry in traffic because it's all about me. Get out of my way. I have places to be. I get angry in my marriage because it's all about me. My spouse needs to be serving me. I get angry in the workplace because it's all about me. How could so-and-so say that to me? You see, this is what God's law does. It frees us from our desire to be kings and queens of the universe. This is how it frees us from ourself. And here's the interesting thing. The more my life is about me, the more angry and tired I am. And the less my life is about me, the more free I am and the more joy I have. You see, the law, it frees me from me so that I can be free to enjoy this life God has given me. So how does the law free us from us? Well, when we submit to the law, when we surrender to God's law, we submit to the way the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the God that designed the universe, we submit to the way he designed things to work rather than following our own way, which doesn't. For example, when God says, this is how marriage works, it's not a suggestion. He's not trying to bully us. Friends, he made the institution. He created it. And by the way, he does this same thing with sex and with money and with rest and with parenting. You see, God is saying, this is how I designed things to work. This is my original intent. And when you submit to my way, you'll experience the greater life, the life of freedom, the life of joy. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Uh, Pastor, that's all well and good, but you don't know my spouse. I married a crazy person. My wife is nuts, or my husband is wild, or you don't know my boss. He's a terrible person, or you don't know my financial situation. Well, I just want to encourage you in this way. Let's take that illustration of a marriage with a supposed crazy spouse and move it over to the relationship between Christ and his bride, the church. Who's the crazy one in that relationship? (laughs) And yet, I see one being unbelievably faithful over and over again. So, okay, okay, the law is about freeing us from ourselves, from this desire to be kings and queens of the universe. But pastor, I can't keep it perfectly. And that's okay. Because again, it's not about you. You're not the center of the universe. It's about God and his goodness. Now, just one biblical example of this life of freedom, this better life, this life of joy, the author of our passage today, Paul, he was an incredibly free man, and yet he had an unimaginably hard life. He was shipwrecked three times. My favorite story of him being shipwrecked is when he swims to an island and he gets bit by a snake. It's like, come on, Lord, can't you help me out here? I'm doing your work. He's beaten and imprisoned on multiple occasions. And yet, he's totally free. It's like Paul will kill you. Well, to die is gain. Well, we'll let you live. Well, to live is Christ. We'll torture you. 
Well, I don't compare the present sufferings of this world to be comparable to the future glory. We'll chain you up and put you in prison while I will sing hymns and praise God and convert all your guards. How could Paul do that? How was he so free? Well, friends, he was free because Paul, he wasn't about Paul. You see, Paul was about Jesus. And he understood that ultimately his foundation of righteousness, it wasn't rooted in him. It was in Christ. And in the same way, we don't earn the righteous life. It's already been freely given to us through the death, life, and resurrection of our Lord. It's done, friends. All you can do is walk into now what has already been freely given. And sometimes we'll get it wrong. Max, you can put that picture back up of Samuel. Hopefully it won't be as distracting this time. (laughs) Friends, Samuel could do this another 10,000 times. And guess what? He'll get into much more trouble in this life. But I'll still be his father. And I'll still love him. And I'll still be there to pursue him and to save him when I can. Your father in heaven loves you way more than I love my son. In fact, he's pursuing you right now. That's why you're here. Paul puts it this way. He says that God the father, he was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting our sins against us. And friends, I want to encourage you, if you want to learn more about this loving pursuit, read this word. Devour this word. It's not wasted because this word is God's unchanging revelation in the world filled with evil, upheaval, and change. And when we read it, it makes us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And it trains us in righteous living. Thanks be to God.